So I want you to turn now, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3. This is the last of the seven letters that Jesus has delivered to the churches in Asia Minor. Letters that really have something to say to the church in America, and none of them speaks more directly to our situation, I believe, than what we read here in 314 and following. This is the letter to the church of Laodicea. It is probably the best known of all the letters, but it is also the harshest, the most severe. In this letter, Jesus has nothing positive to say about the church at Laodicea, which is rather surprising because the church itself was quite happy with its state. In fact, they were full of self-esteem. You know, today we sometimes talk as if the highest need that anyone has is self-esteem. They have to feel good about themselves. Well, as a matter of fact, the church in Laodicea had high self-esteem. They felt good about themselves, but Jesus was not pleased. Now, I want to go through this whole passage verse by verse simply because I don't trust myself. There are things I just as soon leave out because it is so severe and so harsh. I'd like to be a little bit more gentle than Jesus. But then again, I'm not the son of God. And Jesus has truth to deliver. And you know what? When you go to the doctor, you don't go hoping for happy talk. What you want is the truth about your health. If you go to an accountant, you don't want to hear about how wonderful everything is if you're on the verge of bankruptcy. You want the truth. And the Bible gives us the truth. Sometimes it's not comfortable to hear, but it gives us the truth, even if that truth makes us, makes us uneasy. So look in verse 14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. The Greek is more frightful still. I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying to the church at Laodicea, you make me sick. That's a shock, isn't it? This is a church. These are people gathering week by week, ostensibly to worship God. But Jesus says, what you've got offends me. You are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. And Jesus says, I'd rather you be one or the other, hot or cold, which is strange. Really? You'd rather them be cold than lukewarm? But you know, the truth of the matter is, Jesus can do something with those who are on fire for him, and Jesus can sometimes get through to those who are cold, but people who are lukewarm, they're the hardest ones to get through to of all. So in the Old Testament, Elijah is preaching to the people of Israel. They've turned away from God, and he finally says, you've got to make a decision. 
He asks them, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Make a choice, declare yourself. This middle ground, that can't hold. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You can't be in the middle ground. And to those who were, who were neither hot nor cold, but were who essentially apathetic, Christian, yes, at least apparently so. Church members, absolutely. But apathetic, lukewarm church members. They made Jesus sick. Now, they would, they would understand this reference because as a matter of fact, the water in Laodicea was famous for making people sick. Did you know that? Laodicea was a wealthy city, but they didn't have good water. So they would have to pipe it in from the outside. Sometimes it would be from hot springs a few miles away. Those hot springs would be filled, the water would be filled with minerals. And so they'd pipe the water into Laodicea. By the time it got to the city, it was lukewarm and it was full of minerals. And when you drank it, it could make you sick. It reminds me of a former president of Baylor, whom I will not name, came to Waco. He's being introduced to his new constituency. Before speaking, he reached for the glass of water in front of him and took a sip and grimaced. He says, it tastes terrible. And I thought, yeah, dude, welcome to Central Texas. We got a lot of minerals in our water. That was Laodicea, famous for nasty tasting water. And so Jesus is saying something they can get. Your form of Christianity is like your water, lukewarm and sickening, nauseating. Now, this, as I said, had to be a shock to the church at Laodicea, had to be a shock because they were such wonderful people. They were so rich in every way. Look at what it says in the next verse, verse 17. You say... I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You say you are rich, I don't need anything. They're self-satisfied. They were certainly economically wealthy, at least the people of Laodicea were wealthy. In fact, in 60 AD, there was a, an earthquake that devastated the city, flattened the whole thing. And not just Laodicea, but the whole surrounding region, cities and towns were flattened. Now, back in those days, the Roman Empire was the dominant force, and the emperor actually offered to help finance rebuilding all these cities. And the cities around Laodicea, they gladly accepted the emperor's help, but not Laodicea. They said, thank you very much, but we don't need your help. We'll rebuild ourselves. And that's what they did. Out of their own resources, they rebuilt the city. We are rich and in need of nothing, self-sufficient. We've got what we need. And no doubt what was true economically was true of how they viewed themselves more globally. They felt like they were good people, spiritual people. They were people who knew how to get things done. 
they live good lives. So they're pretty much self-satisfied. They, they think they've got it going on. And that's why they were so lukewarm. Because they were taking all of God's blessings for granted. See, the truth is, none of us is rich and has it all together and can take care of themselves. Because whatever we think we have can be gone in an instant. We all know that. But you get so used to God's blessings that you forget they are gifts of God. And you think they're yours, and they think, you think they're yours forever, and you kind of forget about God. Life is good. This is what I want. That's how they were in Laodicea. They were presuming on the grace of God. And Jesus says, you think you are rich, but you know nothing. You know nothing. You are wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. So he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now, all these things, gold, white clothing, eye salve, these all represent what God gives us in his kingdom, spiritual goods that he makes over to us. But there's an edge to this as well. The Lord's sticking a needle in the church at Laodicea because it so happens that Laodicea was wealthy, yes, in part because they were a center for banking. And Jesus says to them, you need to buy from me gold so that you'll have true riches. That's what he's talking about, of course, not literal gold. You are poor and you need riches. Laodicea was also famous in textiles. In particular, they had this black wool out of which they'd make tunics and they'd ship them all over the Mediterranean world. They were famous for this. Jesus says you need to buy white clothes to cover your nakedness, cover your shame. In other words, your very way of life is shameful. And then as it turns out, they had the most famous medical school in that whole part of the world. And one of the things that they manufactured at that medical school was eye medicine. And Jesus said, you need salve for your eyes because you are so blind and you need your eyes open. So the Lord's really going after him here. He's not holding back. You are poor and you are naked and you are blind. And then he says, verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. There's a famous story about St. Teresa who was praying and it said that God spoke to her that he only rebukes and disciplines his friends. And Teresa's response was, well, Lord, I suppose that's why you have so few friends. Yeah, maybe. But the Lord's trying to make a point here. He's not just attacking them. He is criticizing. He is rebuking. He's upbraiding them, but it's all with a loving purpose. 
I care about you, he's saying. I'm not going to let the cancer just grow in your soul without doing something to cut it out. That's why he's so severe. So he says, I want you to be earnest and repent. Earnest. Interesting word. Zelao. It's a verb from which we get our word uh, zealous, but it comes from the noun zealous, which literally means heat. So Jesus is saying, I want you to be earnest. I need, you need to heat this up. You are lukewarm and you need to come alive. You need a fire lit under you. You need to be committed all in and repent. And he adds, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Interesting. I stand at the door and knock. He's writing to a church and he's on the outside. He's on the outside knocking on the door. Isn't it interesting that sometimes the place you will not find Jesus is in a church, in particular in a lukewarm church, in a church of nominal Christianity? So he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, he's not talking just about the church now in general, he's going to individuals, whatever the church may do. The church may or may not respond to me and what I'm challenging them to do right now, but individuals still can. Everyone in this room still can. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. They can open the door. How do you open the door? How do you hear his voice? Well, it's what he's talking about here. He's saying, be earnest and repent. When we do that, we're opening the door and Jesus comes into our lives in a new way. That may seem strange. He comes in and he, you know, we're going to eat together. But of course, you know, in the Middle Eastern culture, especially at that time to eat together, well, that's what friends did with each other, to eat together. That was, that was an expression of intimacy and goodwill and bonding, and what Jesus is saying, you are so poor, you are so poor spiritually, but you don't have to stay poor. If you will listen to me, hear my rebuke, if you'll listen to me, you open the door and you'll have something beyond what you've ever had. You'll know me. How many people in church, they go to church, because maybe they had experience somewhere in the past or because their, their spouse insists they come or their parents insist they come or, well, it's a habit that they've developed. So many people coming to church, but perhaps not knowing Christ. That's missing the thing we most need. So he invites us to come. And he says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So this is a call to repent, a call to take seriously 
that we are to be zealous, earnest, in a sense, on fire for Christ. That doesn't mean all caught up in the emotion of it. Emotions come and go. That's why I like the translation earnestness because it emphasizes this is a commitment, a convictional commitment. There's something you believe and you're committed to it. That's the fire that we're looking for. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And you might wonder, well, okay, I get it, but, but I don't have it. And I don't know how to get it. Well, last winter, Linda and I, two or three nights, decided we wanted to have a fire. Now, now we don't have the, that beautiful gas fireplace that some of you have. You just take your little control and you turn it on. It's a beautiful flame. You even have a fan that blows the warmth out into the room. We wouldn't stoop to such a fake fireplace. Actually, we would, but there's no gas delivered to our part of town, so we're stuck. That's the truth. Man, I envy that control, just turning it on and off. But we got to use real wood. So I got real wood, and I put it in the fireplace, and then I've got to light it, so I'm looking for one of those lighters, you know, those long, thin ones that have little propane in them. Found it, went to light the paper that I was using to get the fire going, and no propane left in this lighter. That is so frustrating. That is so frustrating. It seems like every time you want it to work, it's empty. So I took it and threw it away and started looking for matches. And I found a little box of matches, wooden matches, but there are only two left. And that little strike strip on the side it had been worn down to almost nothing. So now I've got a problem. I'm gonna get this fire started and I just have these two matches and it's going to be tough to light them. Now don't, don't send me an email or a text or, or give me a call on how I ought to be able to light the match, whether I've got a good strip or not. I know, I know, I know, I've, I've, I've been to Cabela's before. I know there are ways, but I'm just not very good at those ways, all right? So I've got to make this count. So what do I do? I take the match and I look at that strip. I try to find something that's still rough and I strike it and nothing happens. I try again very carefully. I strike it again. Nothing happens. By that time, the end of the match is beginning to wear down. You know what I'm talking about. And I look one more place and I strike it and it bursts into flame and I use it and light my fire. Every time you come to church with an open heart to worship God and receive from him, you are striking that match. Now, it may not go off in that particular service. You may think, you know, it just, it just didn't touch me. The sermon was so boring. But you strike the match. Every time you open the Bible at home and you read the scriptures, you're striking that match. Every time you set aside time for prayer, you're striking that match. Every time you step out to serve 
in some area of ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. You are striking that match. And sometimes it seems like, you know, this isn't going to light, but you persist in it. And I guarantee you, sooner or later, if you show that kind of earnestness, it will burst into flame. You will come alive. You will change. The problem is we don't do much of this. We don't do much of this. Did you know studies have found that people who are active in church on average attend church twice a month? Those are active members, twice a month. Some of you think, oh, wow, that's great. I only have to come twice a month? No. No, the thing, the point I'm making is most of us think we go to church more than we do. So think about it. If you don't have a regular time where you are praying and reading the scriptures, you don't, you're not involved in a Bible study, but you manage to make it church twice a month, and you think that's going to set you on fire. See, we've got to learn to strike the match, and we do it in faith knowing that if we keep doing in obedience what God has called us to do, God is going to come on the scene. And instead of being that lukewarm, apathetic Christian who can hardly motivate themselves to serve Christ, instead of that, we come alive. That's what Jesus has called us to do, folks. Anything less than that, Anything that smacks of lukewarm Christianity? Well, you've already seen how he feels about that. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your grace that does not give up on us. As you didn't give up on the church at Laodicea, though your words were harsh in your heart, still there was love. Forgive us, Lord for our apathy. Forgive us for our self-satisfaction. Forgive us for thinking we are rich when we are poor, for thinking we need nothing when we need a touch of grace that only you can give. God, forgive us for that. Would you please draw us out of ourselves? And Lord, as we strike the match now as in prayer, as we strike the match in worship, Would you let the fire burn? And would you change us, Lord? Would you change us? Would you come into our lives in a new way that we might know you personally, intimately, as we've always wanted to know you? Amen.